You can now subscribe to Strava Craft Coffee and save 20% every single time they send it to your door. And they'll send it on a perfect interval because you know how long it takes for you to go through a bag of coffee. So you can always have your Strava waiting at your door that same day that you run out of coffee. So you never have to, you know, climb into the car half asleep, drive down to Starbucks or to the store or wherever you get your coffee. No, it'll just be waiting for you right outside on that day. So subscribe to Strava Craft Coffee. Save 20% every single time. Get that interval set up. Or you can save 20% this time if you use the code DNVR20 at checkout. Check out their incredibly rich and tasty CBD-infused coffee. Or you can come down to the DNVR bar and get our world-renowned Strava Craft Coffee Cold Brew. It is a big-time favorite of the DNVR staff. So come on down. Check out what Strava Craft Coffee has to offer. Broncos country is sitting in the south stands, drinking the curves from mile high for the best part of the weekend. Hugging the perfect stranger, they become a friend. Having a good time when the orange and blue WIN. Welcome in to the DNVR Broncos podcast, DNVR Broncos Live, if you're catching us live here on Periscope or YouTube. And good reminder to head over to our YouTube channel, hit us with a little subscribe button over there, maybe hit us with a thumbs up on this video, we'll really appreciate it. Uh, But we're happy to be with you on this Sunday. Am I correct about the date this time, Mace? It is a Sunday. It is a Sunday, Sunday, bloody Sunday, Uh-oh. as it were. No, uh, it was uh, Sunday fun it was day. Sunday fun day. There you go. But uh, not a fun day for Justin Stranod. Not a fun day for the Broncos' offense in general. Uh, it was not an elegant practice, although it had its moments. All right. Well, we'll get to all that in a second. I can't wait to hear what you have to say, Mace. But first, a shout out to our presenting sponsor of this show, MSU Denver Online. They'll put a dynamic education at your fingertips. Just head over to msudenver.edu slash online to scope out all they have to offer. And let me tell you, they've got a lot to offer. So msudenver.edu slash online to see what they've got. Uh, And make sure you check it out if you have any online schooling needs. All right, Mace. Give us the skinny. All right. Well, it was a defensive dominant day. It was a pressure intensive day. Let's just start with the defensive line. Jarrell Casey, Draymond Jones in particular, those guys constantly in the backfield. Broncos did a few things. When they were in sub packages, we saw Casey and Draymond Jones working together. And they were consistently wreaking havoc. Drew Drew Locke, not many plays where he had a lot of time to throw. He was flushed. I think the day was just kind of summed up by the last play when the Broncos did a move the ball segment in the red zone, and or in the reds or it was going to in the red zone. They started at the thirty yard line of the of the defense. Forty seconds to go. Offense need a touchdown, and it broke down. Interior pressure. Malik Reed with pressure past Elijah Wilkinson off the edge. That flushes Drew Locke to the right. You have Bradley Chubb providing secondary pressure uh, as he gets outside of the, of the pocket. And 
Drew Locke tries a, a rush throw as he's rolling to the right, and Bryce Callahan with an easy end zone interception. That was a pretty fitting way, I thought, to end the entire practice. Well, Mesa, I'd love to hear it, and I hate to hear it, right? <laughs> I mean, it, when you're going against yourself, uh, it's great to hear that the pressure's just there again and again and again. But pretty much everything you described about the offense in that one play, if that was uh, reminiscent of how the rest of practice went, yeah, that offensive line play, your quarterback not clicking, making bad decisions, throwing bad balls, that's that's not what you want to hear. So, Mace, I mean, we got one coming in from uh, uh, T. Becknald and kind of wants to know, was it on one person? Is this more of an offensive thing? Or a defensive thing, Mace? What did you see today? I'd say it, a little column A, a little column B. I, I don't want to denigrate the defense because we're going to see this unit, this front seven in particular, uh, wreak havoc. We're going to see plays like we saw uh, at one point in practice where Drew Locke just couldn't get the ball away because there was good coverage. I mean, you had some plays that would have probably translated to coverage sacks, coverage incompletions. But that being said, looking up front, some real struggles, I thought, from both tackles, more so from the right side uh, than from the left side. You had Elijah Wilkinson working at right tackle. Of course, Garrett Bowles still on the left. But Bowles didn't have his best day that I've seen out here so far. But I saw some promise when you got down the depth chart. We happened to see one-on-one O-line, D-line drills today. And shh. Calvin Anderson looked pretty damn good. <laughs> Don't talk about it. Not just to my eyes. I was sitting uh, near uh, Ryan Harris and Nate Jackson, both former Broncos players, and Calvin Anderson caught Ryan Harris's eye as well, and mm. eyes as well. So, one of the things I liked about about Calvin Anderson, I mean, of course, everyone's noticed that clip on social media where he picks up Mike Purcell uh, after he's already taken care of of one block, but Watching Calvin Anderson, he's got really good balance. His feet look quick, and this is allowing him to make sure that he doesn't kind of fall for the and get out of position after the edge rusher makes his first move. There was some good work from Calvin Anderson in run blocking on some plays as well. Not saying he's a first teamer, but there's some promise there. And the other thing is, DeMar Dotson, you got to move him up because he's eating people's lunch over there on the third team. He's he. It looks like he's in shape. It's time to get him some looks with at least the second team, if not the first team. That said, not all bad on the offensive line. Although Dalton Reisner got beat a couple of times uh, by Jarrell Casey, who was just having a monster day. Uh, Draymond Jones even took the measure of Dalton Reisner uh, a little bit. Lloyd Cushenberry got pretty much the entire day as the first team center, held his own, and in the one-on-one drills very reminiscent of what caught my eye down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl in that the guy is persistent. If he gives up some ground early off the snap, he's going to recover. He's going to fight. He's going to dig in, keep the guy from keep the guy from getting the quarterback. There was one play also in a team period where he's going against DeMarcus Walker working at the nose. Hey, I mean, they're just moving guys around. And DeMarcus Walker gets a gets a good bull rush going on Lloyd Cushenberry, but he quickly recovers. He really kind of practically plants his legs in, in the ground, does not let DeMarcus Walker get any further. That allows Drew Locke to have a completion downfield. So 
I don't want to. It's not all bad for the offensive line. Lloyd Cushenberry did some good things, and the fact that he played pretty much the entire practice on the first team—that's a good sign for him. And also, I think really the indicator of where the Broncos want this thing to go. This is a question I have for both of you guys because you've seen it more than I. Uh, when I've been out at practice, I've I felt like the offensive line has done a really good job of developing a pocket for Drew Locke, and then he's had a lot of success from that pocket. And we know that last season. Drew Locke had the highest rookie uh, passer rating inside the inside of a clean pocket. So what I want to know from you guys is when this pocket starts breaking down, how do you feel that Drew Locke has responded to that pressure? Because in my opinion, that might be the key to the success for the Broncos this year is how Drew Locke can handle pressure when that pocket does break down. Yeah, and making sure that the pressure isn't there all the time so he has to handle it. But when I've seen that, Ryan – He's handled it very well. A uh, little discouraged to hear that from Mace at the end of practice today that he did make a bad decision when pressure was in his face. Obviously, that's going to happen if you're getting pressured. You're occasionally going to make mistakes. And from what I've seen, I've been really impressed with him. He's used his mobility to his benefit extremely well uh, when I've seen. And he hasn't been rushed into making poor judgments at every practice I've been to. Yeah, and one thing to consider about that when he's flushed there, it's it's a two-minute drill, and I believe that play started with uh, about 11 seconds on the clock or thereabouts. So you're going to have to force that when yeah. you're in that, in that sort of situation. Of that being said, he still had some time on the clock. I mean, that's you can say, okay, just throw it away, go to the next play, and maybe you don't have protection breaking down at the start the way that play did. But uh, those mistakes from Drew Locke when he's under duress, these are few, few and far between. He's handling it well. I think when you get into actual game situations and he's flushed, he's going to use his legs more, take, those, take that five yards, get to the sideline, move on to the next snap. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, no team, no quarterback is ever going to survive under constant pressure. Um, but Drew is going to have to make plays with his feet. He's going to have to make plays from inside the pocket, avoiding oncoming rushers. Because we just, that's, you know, there's one thing that we know about this Broncos offensive line, and, the, and, and it's that it will not be perfect. And most aren't. But this is going to be an average at best offensive line, I think, um, with what you're going to have at tackle. Even when DeMar Dotson comes up, you know, I think what you're asking from him is average at best. So it's going to be up to Drew to make plays for this team third when he's under pressure. Maybe it's a good thing uh, if you want to go full silver lining on this, that during training camp, he's having to learn how he's going to be able to make plays with pressure. Well, Pat Shermer pointed out today, effectively, this is their eighth practice. So he said, basically, it's like we're in the middle of OTAs right now. So yeah. I think between what he said, uh, some of what we heard from John Elway when the players reported, we can get excited about the potential of Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and some of the dynamic elements of this offense. But I think everything is in place to where – those expectations early on in the season need to be tempered. There may be the element of surprise that works in their favor in week one against Tennessee because they're not going to have any film on this offense. But I think the first month or two is going to be rough around the edges, to say the least. Well, and, and that's 100% right, and it's good to have those tempered expectations. But, guys, I'm not tempering my temp my expectations for this Broncos offense because of the rookies and the young guys. 
I don't care that Jerry Judy's out there. I don't care that Lloyd Cushenberry is likely going to be the starter. It really comes down to one position, right tackle. Every single day, we're talking about uh, Malik Reed looking like Von Miller, Von Miller looking like Super Bowl 50 Von Miller. And every single day, it's against the right side. Now, obviously, there was some interior pressure today. There was interior pressure uh, on Friday as well. So it's not just right tackle. But they're doing a competition at center. Why is a competition not at least happening at right tackle, especially with Calvin Anderson blocking two guys in one play? You brought in <laughs> DeMar Dotson. Why, why? It's frustrating. That, that's the thing where I'm tempering my expectations for this offense because I haven't seen the offensive line hold up for a practice, yet they're saying it's the rookies. I'm not concerned about the rookies. Yeah, and the other thing what you, that you're seeing out there is uh, there was a really chippy moment today, and Vic Fangio alluded to this in his press conference, when McTelvin Ajim went down, Patrick Morris kind of drove Ajim to the ground. Ajim was trying to, to leap up and bat down a pass and drove him to the ground. Uh, not something that you want to see even in a full pad practice like we had out there today. And uh, my goodness, I mean, the stuff that uh, the, the anger that, that that some of the coaches had at that point uh, for going over the line. Uh, I can't say it here on a family podcast on a family show. There were some uh, there, there were some, some tempers boiling, but the way the offensive line is kind of had its lunch eaten at times. You can sort of see uh, why Patrick Morris might be trying to do a little more in that situation, even though it ended up being over the edge in the context practice because the these guys on the interior defensive line and on the edge with Von Miller and Bradley Chubb and even Malik Reed again today, they're wreaking havoc. Mate, so you're saying what they said is worse than screw this. <laughs> <laughs> Much worse. Yeah. There were there were a few choice words that would have taken that to uh, at least a PG thirteen rating. That's all I'm going to say. I'll tell you what, Vic Fangio was did not seem very happy after practice, and his defense dominated. So uh, sorry for Patrick Morris right now, who if he talked to Vic after practice, probably not a very fun conversation. Yeah, and we were, yeah, we were watching when we were sitting up uh, on the top of the hillside. We were openly wondering, the group of us uh, sitting in that tent, if Patrick Morris was even going to be allowed to go back into practice because they were so angry with him and uh, they held him out a little bit and then they brought him back in later. But that was, oh man, he, that, that poor kid probably felt about two inches tall at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like they're going to have to develop a Morris code for him to follow. Oh. <laughs> That's very on brand for you, RK. Thank you. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a feeling he might end up in the trending down uh, portion of the stock report today um mace you know the headline of this show is all about jarell casey and Mm -hmm. i want to hear some specifics about his dominance today and i also want to hear what you guys think about just how much of an upgrade he is for this defensive line well one thing about casey today a, a point of emphasis when they went into uh combo drills was working on some stunts and so this is kind of Jarrell Casey going to the next level when he's able to stunt and not just do one-on-one things. He is so smooth at playing off of some of, of someone else and uh, and and being able to find to find that gap when he's stunting and, and take off and uh, get and get a jailbreak. He's doing a really good job of just taking 
what the offensive lineman gives him. Like if he if he sees that there's that that inside shoulder is is dipping a little bit, and he's got a chance to kind of to take advantage of the O lineman's inside shoulder. He did that today, time and again. Uh, he's the thing that I, I love about watching Jerome Casey out here is that now that we've gotten eight practices in and he's gone against these guys, it's kind of like when you've got a lot of film study on somebody and you're able to use their moves against them. And uh, Jarrell Casey's just playing chess out there. It's masterful to watch. Yeah, that, that that's huge to hear because he had a great day on Friday too, was mm. a big part of my observations uh, on the DNVR.com too. And I think the upgrade of Jarrell Casey is huge because here's the thing. Derek Wolf was uh, a sidekick to Von Miller and he was a very good sidekick. Von credits him with a lot of those sacks, but he was a, he was a sidekick to Von Miller. Bradley Chubb is not a sidekick to Von Miller and Jarrell Casey isn't either. Jarrell Casey is a playmaker. Jarrell Casey is his own guy. He doesn't need Von Miller to open things up and then you put them all together and it just helps them out so much. So you went from a sidekick to another star on that. And, and it's no, it's, it's, that's not a knock on Derek Wolf at all. Um, but he was a guy who I think in his, in his best year was last year. Uh, never, it, he, he made plays, but now you're going to get just a true playmaker where you're not just getting occasional plays. He's going to be there all the time. Yeah. You know, Vaughn loved to call him and Jarrell Casey, uh, you know, the, or him and Derek Wolf or Steve Nash and Dirk Nowitzki, uh, and I think that this is more a situation of like, uh, you know, a LeBron James and Anthony Davis or a yeah. Shaq and Kobe mm-hmm. or, you know, one of those both guys can get it on their own, uh, you know, not needing the pick and roll to to get each other's shots. And I, I guess, you know, Dirk and Steve could probably each get it on their own as well. But you know what I'm saying? You yeah. know, more, more, you know, maybe the Broncos have a true big three now instead of just a two man show. Yeah, they don't have to play off each other. They they now they can to make themselves better, but they don't have to. That's a good that's a very good point and you love the depth that you're seeing as well. I mean, uh, McKelvin Ajim uh, is somebody who as Vic Fangio pointed out after practice today, he's improving as a run defender, which means he's turning himself into a potential three-down guy there who's going to uh, be able to provide some relief. Shelby Harris, he didn't do it today, but he keeps swatting down passes at the line of scrimmage. I mean, this Gentlemen, this front seven, especially at edge rusher and on the interior defensive line, this is going to be this is going to be scary. This is the strength of it. And then when you have plays like you had a few times today, when you've got everyone in coverage holding up their end of the of the bargain, this is a perfect Russian cover complimentary situation here. The Broncos are looking at. Yeah, absolutely. And then when you add Earl Thomas to that, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, it, we're, we're talking about a little fight at practice. Uh, might as well, if you want more fights, bring in ET. Oh man, Cut Earl, Earl Morris, yeah. add Earl Thomas. <laughs> I think Earl Thomas is getting ready for that big star on the side of his helmet. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Why did Why did he not just not sign with Dallas last year? That doesn't. It It feels like. It, this has just been waiting to happen for years. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, but uh, it's it, it's been weird because even when he was in Seattle, once the Legion of Boom start, you know started gradually kind of fading away and guys started leaving, 
Earl Thomas hasn't been the same personality-wise as he was back in the apex of that when you had Richard Sherman and you had Cam Cam Chancellor uh, uh, back there. So he's been know. terrible. He's been a bad yeah. person. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, Earl, Earl Thomas feels like a little bit of a lost soul right now to me. To be honest with you, I hope he can find it, but I don't think that Dallas and Jerry World and everything down there is going to be where he finds the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Metaphorically speaking, he might find it financially speaking because Dallas has the the cap space to go and uh, make that move because they've been converting some salaries to bonuses uh, to try to to try to fit in Earl Thomas. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean. Really, really... <laughs> I was just going to say, if you want this, you know, this team to really come together as brothers, maybe you do add <laughs> Earl Thomas to the mix. Oh, man, <laughs> I mean, since we're talking about it, do we just have to officially shoot it down? Because the Broncos, Mace, you said, you said cap space. Broncos have plenty of cap space, $29 million, puts them in the top five. And they do have two safeties, but there's still a position in the secondary that's open right now with that third corner. Maybe you add him and shake things around. Oh, yeah, and and I guess you're asking Kareem Jackson to be that third corner, and even though he's much better at safety. Otherwise, you're saying, yeah, we're going to bring you in Earl Thomas, but hopefully you'll find happiness as being a, a fifth or sixth defensive back. And uh, <laughs> No, I, I mean... I'm here to watch it. I'm just not, I just don't think it'd be good for the chemistry in the locker room. <laughs> be completely honest though what if you brought in earl thomas because you're saying we're gonna get him at a discount based on his current status uh and then you know justin simmons all of a sudden uh the leverage has left your side of the court yeah Mm. (laughs) i'm not Uh, saying it's gonna happen and i'm not saying it should happen but (laughs) you know uh, someone in the front office has to at least that thought i'm sure has crossed their mind and what, what's the conversation? Let, let's just check in with him and see if he'll take a, a, a very cheap deal. But isn't he going to have to? Man, when we're talking about Jerry Jones, I wouldn't be surprised if he threw money at him. Look, I'm but a he, big believer in, in the Cowboys being a, a true contender this year. So uh, if you are Jerry Jones and you feel the same way I do, then you're probably saying, like, look, look, you know, give me my checkbook, whatever it takes. You know who their quarterback is, right, Ryan? I'm sure shocked do. you're able to say they're a contender with them. I mean, I, th- I think they are. I think they are. Wow. Well, I mean, hey, it's happened before. I mean, the Buc- the, uh, the Bucks won a Super Bowl with Brad Johnson. Now, they had a great defense. The Cowboys, they've got great receivers. They've got argue- arguably the best running back in the game or someone who's in the top three at least, and uh, some playmakers on the defensive side. It, it's positioned for, to a, be a scenario where that quarterback doesn't have to be elite. He just has to be pretty good. And they've the got a thing, buff and a ram. It's true. Yeah. The last thing I'll say about this, uh, this scenario and uh, <laughs> contenders is I've never been more confident in the Ravens as Super Bowl contenders because of the fact that their culture is so strong that they were willing to say, we don't care how talented this guy is. He doesn't fit here. We want him out. No team has a stronger culture than the Baltimore Ravens. So I'm glad you used that word. And this is something, shoot, it predates Lamar Jackson. It predates John Harbaugh even. I mean, this, this is a culture that has been built over 25 years since the day Ozzie Newsom 
became their GM right around the time the franchise moved from Cleveland to Baltimore. So you don't fit in with that. They're not afraid to let you go. And, well, yeah. and, and, and with what else they've got on the roster, they, they can absorb this. Honestly, guys, my opinion of the Ravens as a potential Super Bowl champion, it didn't change today. I still think that they're that it's the Chiefs and the Ravens that are that are likely going to be grappling it out, and there's some distance between them and whoever the third best team in the AFC is. Hey, it could be the Broncos if things break right, but the Ravens' chances of knocking off the Chiefs potentially, to me, they didn't change one iota today. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty incredible. And with Seattle, when Seattle cut that undrafted. Uh, what was he, a cornerback a, a week ago because he tried to sneak a girl into the team hotel? Well, it's so easy to cut guys like that, right? And you're like, oh, we're proving a point. We're, we're sticking by our gun. Okay, well, what if it was Russell Wilson? Are you guys really going to cut him? No, probably not. The Ravens said, yeah. I mean, probably if this was Lamar Jackson, he may get another chance or something like that. But a very hats off to the Ravens. Well, the key is you know, talking about conduct detrimental to the team here. So they're trying to get all that guaranteed money off the books in excise so it doesn't have any kind of salary cap impact. Lawyers will be involved. All right, let's circle back to the Broncos here, Mace. Uh, you know, how about some other observations from today's practice that the people need to know? All right, well, mentioned uh, mentioned Calvin Anderson earlier. Hey, Levante Bellamy, of course, he's been seeing more work with Melvin Gordon down, and uh, Bellamy looks really explosive. And uh, Royce Freeman had some, his moments today, particularly in the passing game. But, you know, Bellamy, the only thing negative I'll say about him today is that he really struggled in one-on-one pass pro drills where they had the running backs and tight ends going up against edge rushers and inside linebackers. And Levante Bellamy was not holding up well. He was not able to get set, not not getting his hands in the right spot. So he's got a long way to go as a blocker, but at the same time, that's not what you're asking of him. You're asking him to, to, to be explosive. So there's a lot of promise there. Speaking of that drill, Noah Fant got to go against Bradley Chubb multiple times. And yeah, Chubb beat Fant, but also Fant got the better of Chubb. Noah Fant has come a long way as a blocker in terms of in terms of his hand placement, in terms of being able to to get it to get his feet set, get get into his stance and also not fall for guys trying to kind of make a spin move. He's willing to kind of let the let the edge rusher come to him a little bit and then focus on his own technique rather than getting caught up in a, in a little bit of a deke move coming from the guy on the on the outside in that case Chubb and to me, that was actually as promising as, as anything I saw today was Noah Fant doing a lot better in, in, in pass protection. Not a really active day for him as a pass as a pass catcher. And that's the other thing. I mean, I, I'm going through my notes here, and uh, there's really not a lot you can say about the wide, the wide receivers in part because of the pressure. I mean, the longest play of the day was Drew Locke hitting Deshaun Hamilton down the left sideline, but it might've been a sack in game conditions because pressure was, was coming in on drew lock. So again, all comes back to the pressure from up front. Good to hear Mace. Uh, that's if you're in a defense and I'm sure Vic Fangio, uh, likes when, when that side of the ball is winning the day. Uh, Mm -hmm. it's really interesting to me, just the inconsistency we've seen so far. Um, and it's, 
it's funny because usually it's been Zach who's been seeing pressure parades mm-hmm. and I've been seeing the offensive explosions and uh but is there something to be I don't know concerned about from all sides of the Broncos that you know you're not seeing consistent play and I mean this in this in the sense not just the offensive line but the other side of things you know it we we're clearly learning that the pass rush is capable of dominating the offensive line so is it concerning from their standpoint that you know the days that I've been out there they haven't been nearly as dominant Zach your thoughts um Ryan repeat that just is there concern about the consistency from this team because because of how variable things have been while we've been out there or and it's not just from the offensive standpoint it's also from the defensive standpoint uh, all sides is it are you happy that one side's winning then the other side's winning or are you concerned that both sides are inconsistent no, because you're going to have one side lose when the other wins. And I would rather have the offense win at times and the defense win at times to show that there's life on the offensive side. And I have seen that there's life. And and I like what the offense is doing. Obviously, not on the offensive line every single day because there's still concerns there. But if this was just another beatdown by, uh, by the defense, practice after practice after practice, well then we'd have to be thinking more of what's happened the last few years with this team. So I'm happy to see that the offense is winning. So it it doesn't concern me that they're going back and forth. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And the other thing I think, Zach, everything that I view is always through the prism of however it's all different this year. And while uh, you're concerned about the, consi- the consistency, you are at, a really early stage in terms of these guys playing together, uh, even on the defensive side with the scheme carrying over, you're still incorporating AJ Boye and Bryce Callahan because Callahan wasn't out there last year. You've, you've still got uh, changes on the defensive line as well. Now you're dealing with the loss of Todd Davis. There some awkwardness is going to be expected. And I think it's probably going to carry over into the regular season a little bit too. Yeah, I think, I think, I agree with both of you guys, and I especially agree with the fact that you need, you know, if it, it, it would be one thing if this team, I don't know, hadn't had such a bad offense for so long, but you need mm-hmm. to see this offense go out there and beat the defense some days for you to not, you know, have PTSD about way, the way this offense has looked over the past few years. So even if that means, you know, the defense is having some less than great days out there, I just, mm-hmm. you know, for everyone's sanity, they need to hear, hey, look, Drew Locke and Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton went out there and, and out-dueled Von Miller and Bradley Chubb and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Bryce Callahan and A.J. Boy. you you got to hear that or else you're going to start panicking about the offense. Yeah, yeah. the other thing is you still have those bursts where you see it. We talk about Drew Locke under pressure, and one play early in practice, he's flushed to the right, does a nice job of locating Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick with a good route, a hang toward the sideline, and – and Drew Locke just flicks it, puts a lot of zip on it. Tim Patrick is right there near the sideline, makes the catch first down, move the chain. So there are moments where you're seeing it click, and there are moments even on a day where there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of struggle. But uh, you know what? It's still there. You see those glimpses. They're still there. Yeah, well, and guys, earlier today, the uh, Washington football team uh, moved on from Cody Latimer, and the Broncos are signing wide receiver Cody 
White, not not Cody <laughs> Latimer, not not bringing him home. Uh, just confirmed that. That's why I was a little off on that question earlier, Ryan. Just adds depth, and uh, so that just came down the wire. Yeah, you needed another body in there at wide receiver with KJ Hamler going to be down for a little while. We don't know how. So there you go. Cody White out of uh, Michigan State. Boom. Yep. Yeah. So, sorry. I didn't want to talk about Michigan State football on this uh, podcast, though. Sorry, well, Ryan. Maybe Pat Never Shermer. Maybe Pat Shermer, <laughs> Michigan State alum, put in a good word regarding Cody White. I mean, he didn't coach him, but I'm sure he watched him the last couple of years. So, Boy, from a Broncos offensive perspective, pers- standpoint, or it's a good thing we're talking about uh, Pat Shermer being the offensive coordinator here and not Michigan State's head coach right now. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. All right. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Mace, I'm going to give you a second to give a last word here. But before I do that, uh, just a reminder to everyone that we'll have a full report up from Mace on DDNVR.com a little bit later with all of his observations, a lot more, uh, you know, small notes and just little things that you might need to know from the practice. And of course, you can listen to the entirety of this podcast in which we'll get into all of the questions from our subscribers and our members uh, over wherever you catch podcasts. So check us out there. But Mace, before we let people go, anything, any last words uh, on today's practice? Last words, just in general, I'd say take heart in the fact that there were some glimpses for the offense, even under the pressure. Uh, like I mentioned with that pass to Tim Patrick, you had uh, Jerry Judy make make a play in in seven on in seven on seven. Quiet day for Cortland Sutton. Philip Lindsay had some strong runs, and uh, boy, oh boy, there's actually one uh, that jumps out to me where he just used some picture perfect blocking from all three interior guys: Lloyd Cushenberry. Uh, Dalton Reisner and Graham Glasgow. And then it was that classic one cut and go the whole flashed open and Phil took off up the middle. So there are still some good things happening out there for the offense. It's not all clouds, smoke and haze in the sky. It's not all bleak. There are some reasons to smile for the offense. And it's actually good to see Philip Lindsay be that as well, because you know what? Melvin Gordon, not out there. Philip Lindsay is handling the load just fine. Thank you. All right. Great to hear, Mason. Uh, for everyone who tuned in the live portion, we thank you guys. Uh, and we'll see you over on the podcast format a little later today. All right. Before we move along, big shout out to Breckenridge Brewery. And shout out to all of you who are still tuning in with us on the podcast format of the show. I've said it once. I'll say it again. Uh, if you if you tune into the live and you listen to the podcast form, even if you just, you know, skip through uh, the, the first 30 minutes of the podcast format, you are our most valuable listener the the mvl uh and and i hope there's a bunch of you so uh shout out to all of you and of course all the uh the podcast uh traditionalists if you will who just take in the the show every day in podcast form but yeah big shout out to breckenridge brewery uh supplying us with ice cold damn good beers at dnvr bar and at home and everywhere else uh so make sure you go down to your local liquor store and get yourself some breck brews i guarantee you that Breck Brew, you know, whatever your favorite beer is, their version of it will also be one of your favorites. So check out some damn good beers today. I'm pretty sure they have like 100 million different types of Breck Brews that you can have. And you better listen up now because I'm going to give you 100 million reasons why you should go check out DraftKings Sportsbook. Guys, they're giving away $100 million in prizes to all of their customers, including one lucky winner who will take home one 
million dollars in cash prizes. So to claim your share of that $100 million giveaway, make sure to go to DraftKings, go to the app, and use code DNVR when you sign up to enter the free football survivor pool. And that's all you have to do. It's that easy to get in on $100 million in instant giveaways and put yourself in the running to win $1 million. And while there's one big lucky winner, everyone who signs up and enters DraftKings free football survivor pool will receive an instant bonus prize of at least $5 in value upon entering. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code DNBR to claim your share of the $100 million in instant giveaways and put yourself in the running for the $1 million cash top prize. That's promo code DNVR and get in on your shot of $100 million in prizes only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And check this out, Zach. Uh, this might be a breaking news here, depending Ooh. on when you're listening to the podcast. But we're going to now have private pools for those who have the DraftKings Sportsbook app and come down to the DNVR bar for the game. So, you know, there's about 50 people uh, who can come into the bar for the game and everyone that is there will be eligible and be given a code to join our DraftKings pool. And the first one's going to be tonight for the Nuggets game. Zach, you've got a one in 50 chance if you come down to the DNVR bar at winning 300 bucks on DraftKings Sportsbook if you get the most answers right in our private pool. So just another reason to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Man, that is too cool. Those are great odds. Really great odds. And it's, oh, and I should mention, it's free to enter these pools as well. Uh, so you don't even have any sort of entry fee. You just show up to the DNVR bar, scan the code, make your picks, and, and, uh, and hope you get the most right. That's what we call no risk, high reward. No risk, high reward. Absolutely. All right, let's jump into the questions. From the listeners, and the first one here comes in from Aquaman, who says, I just got the Fee Golf Simulator, which works with WGT. You swing real clubs or a training stick, and it tracks the club speed and angle to play the WGT courses. Any other DNVR members have Fee Golf? Different way, and closer to real golf to play WGT. Wow, that is awesome. Yeah, Aquaman, I know someone that has it. Me! I love it. Oh, you it. have it? Yes, it is. It is so cool. It's this... Uh, it, you get a, a golf club that has a, a little ball at the end to simulate the weight, but it's the sensor is this little thing that you put in the top hole of, of the club. And so you can put it on any club that you have. And man, that's why I, I haven't been doing so well during some of these uh, WGT tournaments that we've been having over the weekend. Cause I've been doing it this way. It's a lot more difficult for me, but it's, it's a lot more fun. Wow, I gotta try this. I, the only scare is like, you know, throwing your golf club through your TV or something. <laughs> Trust me, I I hold hold on for uh for death grip there. <laughs> That's hilarious. He also wants to know how does McManus look. Uh, I actually haven't seen McManus get a lot of work. Of course, I was infamously there the day where he was so bored he put on a referee's uniform, uh, which is just you know the life of a specialist. I guess they have way too much time on their hands, but. Uh, I heard Tom McMahon today absolutely singing his praises, saying he's absolutely hitting the hell out of the ball right now. 
Yep, exactly. So he's not concerned about his plus 50 yard field goals. Uh, and when I've seen him, he's looked fine. I think the, in all three practices I've been there, I've seen him kick eight field goals and I think he was eight for eight. So I don't have a big concern over McManus. All right. Great to hear. Next one here from lower ready guys, not a new subscriber. Just don't comment much. Although I did re up for my second year with you today. Got him again. Hey, I realized today that you are the only place I get my Broncos news. Bad thing? I think not. I literally uh, got Twitter just to follow your Broncos tweets. Lots of talk about the players. But what do you all think of Vic in his second year as a head coach? I think it's only training camp. I know it's only training camp. However, would still like to know what you think. Stay safe and keep doing what you all are doing. I think he's even more comfortable in, in what he's doing. And Vic's a guy who's always been comfortable in his own skin. But now it, it really feels like, uh, this is his team with Pat Shermer. I think that dynamic's going well. So uh, I, I think it's going well so far in, in the second year with Vic. Not any big changes. Yeah, I think, you know, Vic Fangio is a guy who's always going to be Vic Fangio, like him or not. And John Elway said, I like him uh, a long time ago or, you know, a year and a half ago. And that was his decision. And he's going to have to live with that because Vic Fangio is Vic Fangio. And so he's not going to change. He's not going to start complimenting players more. It's just not in his blood. It's not who he is. And when you hired him, you hired him to be who he is. So don't expect music at, at practice. Don't expect any of these things. Uh, I think Vic Fangio, for better or for worse, it's up to you guys to decide, is going to say, look, you know, you're going to have to learn to love me uh not the other way around yeah and speaking of Vic happy 62nd birthday to uh to Mr. Vic Fangio yeah happy birthday Vic and 62 years of being the same guy <laughs> seriously low country bronco guys with KJ's hamstring and the fact that he must be rested what do you guys think the one two three at wide receiver looks like I'm thinking Cleveland or I'm liking Cleveland but realistically do you think it would be Deshaun or Tim Patrick could one of them break out unexpectedly in this new offense come game time? Keep paying the man LCB. So this is a really interesting question. And I think the answer to it lies in the question of what is the best three you can have on the field? And I think Zach, the best three you can have on the field is Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, and Jerry Judy. And that means Jerry Judy is going to have to play the slot and I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think Jerry Judy can be extremely effective in the slot. It's going to change the way that you look a little bit on offense. But I think that Jerry Judy playing in the slot really will open up things on the outside for obviously, you know, Cortland Sutton. But he's going to get a lot of attention. It'll really open up things for Tim Patrick to be able to make plays. And I think he is a capable receiver, capable enough receiver to make those plays. Yeah, I think when we're talking purely wide receivers, it is those three. From everything I've seen, it's Tim Patrick has the nod over Deshaun Hamilton. We're going to see Deshaun get in there, specifically when they want to move Jerry Judy to the outside. Deshaun will come in and be your slot. But I think what we may see a lot of as well is Noah Fant line up as a traditional or as like kind of the wide receiver, whether it's outside, whether it's inside. And then your, you know, receivers who are the guys who are lining up like receivers are going to be Sutton. Jerry Judy and Noah Fant and then maybe Nick Vanette as a traditional inline tight end when you have Noah Fant spread out so I think we'll see that a lot but I think Tim Patrick in terms of the receivers 
is the clear favorite to be that third guy. And do I think he'll break out? No, I don't think he'll break out, but I think he is a, he is a very reliable option. And I think with having a rookie on the field with Jerry Judy, that Pat Shermer and Vic Fangio are going to want a guy who they can rely on to be opposite Cortland Sutton. So I think Tim's, Tim's going to be that guy. And then, of course, you can see other looks as well where Jerry Judy bounces to the outside and Deshaun Hamilton comes in and plays the slot. I think, you know, you're, the, the versatility that you have with Jerry Judy is going to allow you to be a little bit more creative with your pairings out there. And speaking of no KJ Hamler, Dan Burke with the Calvin Anderson Clyde emoji chimes in and says, <laughs> hey guys, I know Judy's no slouch and Sutton's capable of being a deep threat, but I feel like the Broncos are going to miss the vertical speed that KJ Hamler could have brought to the offense. The impression I'm getting is that he'll probably have an effective, or effective redshirt year this year. They might not only shut him down, but I think he'll be given time to heal that hammy. So I'm not expecting to see him much. Yeah, and that, that's something that we talked about on Friday as well, Ryan. And you posed the question. And yeah, I think it's going to be way more of a redshirt year um, than obviously anyone was expecting initially. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, basically anything you get from KJ Hamler at this point to me is a bonus um, this season, that is. It just... I have to think that they're thinking the same way that we're thinking, which is just KJ is a really talented player. And the only way that we're not going to ever see that talent is if he's always nursing this hamstring injury. Exactly. Uh, and just, you know, look at Juwan Winfrey as a perfect example. Exactly. Uh, and unfortunately for Juwan, he was given all the time he needed to get healthy and he still wasn't able to do it, which just bums me out. Uh, but you, you just, I don't know. I don't know if he can <laughs> you know, do something crazy to try and heal this hamstring, you know, like I don't know, stem cells or I, I don't know what it is, <laughs> but you really got to make sure a hundred percent that this, uh, that this hammy is ready to go before you start, you know, trying to throw a uh, cage of Hamler on the field. Seriously, Ryan, learn from Juwan Winfrey right there. And speaking of CU wide receivers, he goes on and says, with that in mind, what do y'all think about signing Paul Richardson to bring a similar speed element to the offense? He's on the market still, and he's obviously familiar with the state. He struggled in his career to be much more than a complimentary option for an offense, but that's exactly what he'd be asked for And with the Broncos. I think it makes a lot of sense, assuming the price is right. I don't know. Um, I, you know, signing one super injury-prone guy for another one <laughs> is just probably not a move that a front office is going to make. I love Paul Richardson. But the same thing that plagued him at CU plagued him has plagued him in the NFL. He, he's a, he's a, a small man, uh, not hey, just hey. In, not <laughs> just you know in his you know he's got height, but he is built very small, and it's caused him to be hurt a lot in the NFL. And and he also has the soft tissue stuff too. So uh, I, I assume you know obviously they went out and got Cody White. I assume. Uh, if Paul Richardson was considered, it was the same thing, you know, okay, well, what are we, what are we going to do? Bring him out here. And then he gets hurt in the first week. And now we've just given him, you know, the vet, vet minimum or whatever for nothing. Kind of like they did with Theo Riddick, who by the way, is a Raider, Zach. Oh yes, he is, man. Oh, I'm happy the Broncos are able to give him uh two and a half, three million $3 to go play for the Raiders. Rough. Absolutely rough. <laughs> Next one here. Comes in from maybe the dingo ate your baby. 
So I was listening to Broncos talk, and the squabble between Emmanuel Sanders and Cortland Sutton was revisited. I know it means nothing, but now the story – but the story I remember was that Emmanuel got up in Cortland's grill about walking from drill to drill, and it led to fisticuffs. The story that was told by these NFL insiders was opposite. So what happened that led to Sanders' early exit last season? And what have those young leaders learned from their experience? Okay, well, you're asking a bunch of different questions here because I actually don't believe those two things are related. My understanding of what happened was Garrett Bowles' fall started for the second time in a short period of time. And Emmanuel Sanders tore into him. And in the midst of Emmanuel tearing into him, Cortland stood up for Bowles and said, all right, all right, that's enough. And Emmanuel took exception to that from a young guy and all hell broke loose. Uh, Zach, is that how you remember the story? Yeah. And do you remember Emmanuel's like flying punch that he tried to throw? I mean, like midair karate chop. Oh, this was like full <laughs> UFC uh, over quarantine. I got into UFC and that's a, that's a, a lethal, a lethal move in UFC is the flying punch. So yes, that was a, that was quite something i guess you need to break out those type of moves when you're a tiny guy going against Cortland sutton six three six four two twenty and then zach we've heard the story of what got uh emmanuel shipped out of town do you want to uh divulge any details into that one yeah emmanuel wanted the ball let's let's say that he wanted the ball he didn't see the ball what was it against the titans right ryan was it against the Titans when they won 16 to zero? Yeah, I think so. I think so. He, uh, he didn't get the ball in the first half and, uh, he said that his ankle, is that what yeah, it was? Knee. Yeah. Whatever injury he had flared up, uh, Emmanuel wanted the ball and he didn't get it. So he said, I'm done. Yep. He took his lack of ball and went home. <laughs> And took his uh, two balls and went home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, or to not, or to not home, if you know what I'm <laughs> <All> saying. <right. laughs> uh, from World of Suck, hey guys, if you entirely wiped out draft position for your mind, who would be your top five rookies so far, including undrafted free agents? Five is a lot. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you my top three. Jerry Judy is one. Um. Probably Lloyd Cushenberry is two, and McTelvin Ajim is three. Yeah, those those would be in my top five. I may, I got to put Tyree Cleveland in there as well, Justin Sternod, and uh, so that would round out my top five. But then uh Alberto too. Um, I'm trying to get uh, Levante Bellamy in here though, but he he's on the back half certainly, just on the outside of that top five. But he's been he's been very impressive from what I've seen. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a little bit worried about this injury for Justin Stranod, uh, Zach, just in term in, in talking to some sources, I think it might end up being a little bit worse than, uh, than we might, than we might've thought. Oh, yikes. That's two inside linebackers, Ryan. And obviously two that we're going to have pretty big parts and roles this year. Todd Davis being a starter, although he's only supposed to be out maybe a week or so. And he, and Stranod was supposed to be this guy to cover cover running backs and tight ends and man if you lose him that's that's a big piece of your defense yeah if you do you probably gotta go sign someone 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I would suggest signing not just a camp body. Right. Someone that can play. Yeah, exactly. Nick Scott says, I haven't commented in a while, but I have a wide receiver take. I think that Tim Patrick is better than Deshaun Hamilton. So here's what I want to happen. I want to put Hamler on the IR and maybe bring him back later if he's healthy. But health is the number one factor with them. We totally agree with you. And then I want Sutton and Patrick as the two outside wide receivers and Judy in the slot. Those two outsider mismatches by height alone. And Judy's route running from the slot would be insane to guard, especially from what is usually a number three corner to the opposing team. Thoughts? Well, I think that's kind of what Ryan and I are actually saying. You're going to see a lot of this year. And for Tim Patrick being, you know, a backup sort of guy, that actually works out pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that there is a, there's something there. I think that you can still have a dynamic wide receiver group. And here's the other thing that I meant to mention that you're probably going to see a lot of, which is uh, three wide receiver sets or two tight end sets, however you want to look at it, in which uh, Noah Fant is playing on the outside. And so, you, you know, instead of Tim Patrick, you've got Noah Fant out there. And then, of course, uh, you know, Nick Vanette in tight or whatever, uh, and you move on from there. I think that's something you might see quite a bit of as well. It's something that Pat Shermer has showed that he likes to do. Yep, yep, exactly. And, Ryan, speaking of moving on, before we go any further, got to tell you guys about WGT. Aquaman men mentioned Fi Golf earlier. Get your hands on Fi Golf in the most realistic way to play WGT. Or if you don't want to get Fi Golf, <coughs> excuse me, the awesome thing about WGT is you can play it anywhere you are because you can play it on your phone. And that's why over 20 million people around the world are playing WGT golf. So go to dnvrgolf.com to download WGT. It's a free app, but we ask that you go to dnvrgolf.com because it lets WGT know that you want to play with us. Once you've downloaded WGT golf, go into the clubhouse part of the app and search for dnvr3 that's dnvr and the number three next to us because we already have so many people playing with us we had to open a third clubhouse so that's why it's dnvr3 get you all the access that the other clubhouses do and then every weekend we have a tournament on wgt that everyone that's in the clubhouse has access to and the awesome thing about it too is that in middle of the week you want to play someone from our community hit someone up in there and you can play them little head-to-head. -head. And I just love WGT, have for about a decade now. It's so realistic, and I love playing at courses that I know, like Pebble Beach, St. Andrews. So go to dnvrgolf.com and download WGT. I, I could not recommend WGT more, and I also could not recommend Manscaped more. You know, the Lawnmower 3.0 is obviously the crown jewel of their products for your family jewels, but – you only you're only going to need the crop uh there sorry the uh the lawnmower 3.0 once in a while that cannot be said for all the products that come in the three uh, perfect package 3.0 i'm talking crop preserver crop reviver these are things you're going to need multiple times a day if not uh, you know mult multiple times uh per section of the day once you get this stuff you'll understand what i'm talking about you're going to need it so uh go over Manscaped, use the code DNVR20 for 20% off and get in on all of their awesome products. Exactly. Aristocrat chiming in. He says, 
Opposing teams will not want to watch any film on the Broncos this year as Fangio seems more than willing to point out each and every player's biggest weakness. He can't seem to compliment any player without criticism. I don't think he needs to be like Pete Carroll with his compliments, but it seems excessive at times. How do you feel about the style of coaching when addressing the media? Uh, we said this earlier, like, this is who he is. This is what you got. Um, so I, I think he could be more – offer more praise maybe. I don't know. I, don't, I think it, some of the, sometimes this stuff gets overblown. Yeah, I got to say, maybe it, it wore players down last year. But I think players that are still here specifically are ones that now just understand that's how Vic is. That's how Vic is going to be. Um, But I personally like it because we get to find out who's actually doing well, who's not. If Vic gives you a legit compliment, well, you know it's legit. You know it's not just smoke being blown. Uh, And so I personally like it from a media standpoint. I think it was tough for players last year, but now I don't think it weighs them down. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm with you. I, I just, I think, I, I don't, I don't even know how, how much the players actually pay attention to stuff like that. Yeah. I, I next, don't think they're reading the media clippings. Next one's from lock the Casbah. I think you guys have said Boye is a good scheme fit for us. Broncos play a lot of zone. I mentioned this to a friend who thought uh, Boye was mostly a man corner. Looking at some film and analysis, it looks like Boye has had to play a lot of man to man and zone. Either way, we'll sometimes struggle with very good to elite talent. It also looks like he's a good tackler, which is what Fangio likes, right? So is Boye better and more used in zone or man? Are we worried about his struggle against elite number one wide receiver talent? And has he been better so far in man's man or zone in practice? I've actually been very impressed with, with Boye. Ryan, we haven't talked about him much, and that's kind of what you want from a cornerback. If you're talking about a cornerback over and over again, it probably means he's getting beat. Boye's been very solid, both in man and zone. He's comfortable with both. Um, And am I worried about him struggling against true number one receivers? He's not uh, an all-pro cornerback. So you you have to realize what he is. He's a good number one cornerback. And so going up against elite wide receivers, I wouldn't expect him to shut it, to to absolutely shut him down. So – um, I'm not worried about it because my expectations aren't that he's going to be able to go up against number one receivers and shut them down. I think you're going to need help. Yeah. Also the idea of shutting down elite talent is, is a farce. Um, no one does it. That's why they're elite. Uh, and if they do get shut down, they aren't elite. Now right. there are very few exceptions where, you know, the no fly zone as a unit could shut down a top receiver. Uh, but there are very, and I mean, very few guys who can just, you know, go one-on-one with a Julio Jones and shut him down. It just doesn't happen. It's, it's almost impossible. So I just think that's something to keep in mind. Uh, it's going to have to be like, you're going to have to have help if you're facing elite wide receiver talent. Uh, and I think the Broncos have such a great safety group that they're going to be able to afford to give help over the top to, you know, an A.J. Boye in coverage of elite receivers. So um, I, I am worried about him going up against elite receivers in one-on-one in man coverage because he will lose a lot. Uh, that's what happens when you go in man coverage on elite wide receivers. I mean, especially when you're going up against guys in the AFC that just run the best routes ever oh, known to God. mankind. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait until uh, old Chris sees the routes that Jerry's running out there. Oh, man. 
<laughs> I don't think he'll be giving compliments to any of the Broncos. I don't think so either. <laughs> but how, how will he? I don't know because he can't, he can't knock himself. So I don't right. know. How that's... You know what? It's going to be a safety blue, the coverage. I'm not going to point fingers, but. Uh... <laughs> if you knew what I knew on that play, you uh... wouldn't be talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's so perfect. Uh, from Broncos guy 63. <laughs> Don't know exactly why this sparked this thought, but I just watched an Adam Thielen video that the NFL Twitter account posted, and I thought how stoked I am about Jerry Judy. Thielen is such a good receiver because he'll either make spectacular catches or be so wide open because of his route running ability that even if the throw is off, he has room to maneuver and make the catch. Listen, I think the world of Drew Locke, and I think he's going to turn out great. But holy hell, John Elway did him a massive favor by somehow landing Jerry Judy. With Jerry and Cortland to throw to, Drew will have, more, uh, will have two people that specialize in just throw-it-up balls. Excuse my phrasing because I don't know how to describe that, but I think you get me. <laughs> Sutton, because he can outman people in Judy because no one will be within five feet of him that he'll, he, that he'll even have to outman. Drew will be able to manage any subpar offensive line with this wide receiver duo because he doesn't need to be pinpoint accurate. I'm probably a little too hyped about the season, but by golly, it's nice to have some genuine hope about a Broncos season again. P.S. How many TDs does Drew need to throw in the first eight games to get his very own DNVR merch? <laughs> I don't think Drew Locke has to do anything uh, to get his very own DNVR merch, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> yeah, I think he's already earned it enough, that's for sure. Uh, and I think you're, it's a fantastic point. And add to that mix a good running game, uh, good running backs that you can throw the ball to, so some easy targets for Drew when he's under pressure, when he needs – uh, a, a quick throw, he can go to them. Uh, and then also Noah Fant, who, who's a guy, you can throw the ball four yards to him and he can take it 40 yards to the house or, or 80 yards. We saw it last year at the 75-yard touchdown. So John always put Drew Locke outside of the two tackle positions, which are big things, of course. He's put Drew Locke in a fantastic position to succeed. He really has. He really has. And I think that there is something to be said for the short passing game making the offensive line's life a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Broncos guy 63 says, shirt idea, Drew as a centaur? Yes, a because a centaur has a horse's body and thus a horse's... <laughs> I get it. He, he <laughs> says, if you get it, you get it. <laughs> Uh, Count Locula, are there any unwritten rules about football we, the average fans, may not know about Love the Count? Uh, I'm sure you guys know about this one, but, like, you, sh you never talk about another player's money or their contract or, what you know, what they should or shouldn't be doing with their money. That's an unwritten rule. Uh, you don't hit your own teammates after the play, as Patrick <laughs> Morris found out today. Um, what are you doing, Pat? I don't Come know. Uh, you know, a lot of people may disagree with this, um, but I guarantee you this would come up if Chris Harris Jr. was still on the football team. Uh, as a rookie or a young player, you do not show up veterans. And what I mean is in an, an example would be Jerry Judy beats Chris Harris Jr. in coverage with the most miraculous route the world's ever seen in practice, <laughs> uh, scores a touchdown, and chirps or scores a touchdown and dances in his direction, the, you know, the veterans expect you to, if you score a touchdown on them, 
flip the ball to the referee or to one of the coaches and put your head down and go back the other way. What do you think? Do you agree with that? Uh, no. I think it should go. It should go both ways. You know, if you're gonna do it to a rookie, they should be able to do it to you. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And another thing, kind of playing off that, Ryan, is a lot of vets. Let's say you know the run is going to the right outside, and you're on the left side as a wide receiver. A veteran wide receiver may say, okay, guys, may look to the cornerback and say, let's just take this one off, kind of jog it. Um, and the rookie, and he expects the rookie to follow his lead. Well, what if the rookie darts over and then makes the wide receiver, the vet wide receiver look stupid? And uh, that's an unwritten rule during practice, at least. Absolutely. Or, you know, uh, let's say Dalton Reisner is blocking – you know, Derek Wolf in his first season and the play goes the complete opposite way and neither of them are involved, but Dalton blocks him to the whistle and maybe right before the play is touchdown knocks him over. <laughs> That's not gonna fly. Oh Derek would not be happy about that. <laughs> um and to be honest, Zach, I think all of these rules I think all unwritten rules are unwritten for a reason because they suck as rules. <laughs> I totally um, agree. Like you know what? You cannot get mad at a guy for trying. No, especially a rookie. Yeah, this guy has to earn his spot out there. He's got to show the coach or something. Now, don't be a Patrick Morris and try a little too hard uh, and hit a guy after the play. That's an unwritten. That's I guess that's a written rule because you can't hit a guy after the play anyway. So that's not an unwritten rule. Um, I just think you know, there's a lot of this effort-based stuff where the vets want to want to give less effort. Uh, right. because it's just practice yeah. uh, and I, I think anything having to do with that is garbage and the, you know the, the final thing I'll say about this when it comes to like celebrating or showing up of that the rookie vet stuff is all go- these are professional men that play football like there doesn't no one needs to you know get treated differently it's just like the you know the rookies can't sit on the couch. There's a there's an unwritten rule, or maybe that one <laughs> yeah. maybe that one is written down somewhere. That's so dumb. You know, th- <laughs> these are all professional football players. Right. Yeah. It's so stupid. They can't sit on the couch. Ryan, uh, are you hitting a home run on a three zero count, even if your team's up? Bro, <laughs> not only am I hitting it. If we're up 7-1, I'm hitting the grand slam, bat flipping, and chirping the pitcher as I round first base. <laughs> you know what? He shouldn't have thrown a home run ball if he didn't exactly. want you to hit a home run. Yeah, exactly. Make a better pitch or walk me if you don't want me to hit a home run. Right. Yep. yep. I totally agree. And you know what? If you're going to throw at me the next time uh, we get up there, uh, cool. I'll take my free base. Right. There you go. That helps the OBP. Exactly. From Pig Tosser 66. Really sucks about the KJ injury, but I'm definitely not ready to count him out for the year or even the first half of the year. Maybe misses a couple of games, but that's it. It really sounded like he had a tweak for a few days and was trying to work through it, but just couldn't. For, let me just start by saying I disagree with that in the first place. Um, it wasn't an injury where he was just done. I would think that they were being safe and expect him back early in the year. The hammy along with the glute are the first key uh, parts of the motor for speed guy. Tyreek Hill has a hammy issue going on right now, and I expect, uh, and I remember him having one a couple of years ago too. These guys are like Ferraris that spend a little more time in the shop than the Dodge or the Chevy. And let me just say, you know, I'm not saying I expect the injury to keep him out for the whole year. I just think it might be the smart thing to do. 
because this is something that you absolutely don't want to be lingering at all next year. Exactly. Exactly. He goes, one more quick question. I know Andrew Beck had COVID and is working his way back. Was there even a spot for him on the roster? Uh, it, it was thought before camp that he had an inside track on a spot because of his versatility as a fullback. Can't they get Van Nett to do the same type of stuff, especially if it's just a handful of times per game at most? I just can't see holding on to Beck for that reason alone. I'm out. Well, let me just say this. They like Beck for all reasons. They love Andrew Beck. Uh, something about tight ends, so they just love them all. Uh, but they love Andrew Beck over there. Uh, and, you know, I haven't talked to Pat Shermer about him, but I talked to Rich Scangarello about him personally last year. He could not get enough of Andrew Beck. So, just, you know, it's not just about the fullback, but it is a thing that he does very well compared to the other guys that gives him a leg up. Yeah, and that isn't a position – that you're going to be using often, but on top of it, he's going to be a good special teams player too. So he's going to have two things working for him. That's why I still think he makes a roster. I do too, Zach. Next one from Ooh Benny Lava. Just saw Earl Thomas release, and I'm guessing there will be a stew of comments that we should get him. Just wanted to say, nah, I'm good. Let some other teams suffer that fool. Which team do y'all think picks him up? Uh, first of all, no comments about this, which is actually kind of surprising. <laughs> You're the first one. Uh, we obviously talked about this in the first segment. Look, I'll be honest. The thought of having Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons, and Earl Thomas in the same defensive backfield when all three of them would be pretty much interchangeable on any given play is pretty exciting, especially for Vic Fangio, who loves versatility. But they're not going to get him, um, and the Cowboys probably will. Yeah, I think it'll be the cat. It just seems like – I said it in the first segment. Why did he not just sign there last year? It seemed like he wanted to be going to the Cowboys for so long, decides not to go to them last year. I don't – it doesn't sound like this was an elaborate ploy for him to get released from the, the Ravens, but I think he's happy with the way it's turned out so that he can go to Dallas. Yeah, I think he, he – and to be honest, I think he's got a puncher's chance at having a really good season. <laughs> wow, there we go. <laughs> that wraps it up well. Yes, that does wrap it up well, but not as well as heading over to Green Mountain Dental Group, scheduling a cleaning, cleaning x-ray or exam, and getting yourself a free Sonicare toothbrush. Uh, it's the best way to keep, keep good care of your teeth, and uh, they're the best damn family-owned dentist group in the metro area. So head down. To Green Mountain Dental Group in Lakewood and get yourself taken care of. But for us, that's going to wrap it up on another edition of the DNVR Broncos podcast. I assume the sixth one of the week, right, Zach? Yep, exactly. That's how we do. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for us this week, but we'll be right back with you tomorrow. We'll see you guys then.